This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast coverage of the Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben Dubose. Well, as we chat on this Sunday night, the Rockets are just roughly 24 hours away from opening the second round of the playoffs in San Antonio against the Spurs. It's the second time in three years the Rockets have advanced to the second round or further. Certainly, that's a nice feather in the cap of James Harden, but well, the eyes of the Rockets, of course, are focused on getting beyond just the second round and hopefully to the conference finals, where presumably they would square off uh, with the Warriors. But to do that, they've got a pretty tall order, beating a Spurs team that has home court advantage and won 61 games in the regular season. Now, of course, the other day on this show, I gave my initial keys to the series, what stood out to me at first glance after learning the Spurs would be the opponent. The Rockets clinched their first round series in five after wrapping up that series last Tuesday night in game five in Houston over the Thunder. We didn't know the opponent would be the Spurs until late Thursday night when they won game six in Memphis, but well, that's who it is, and it's felt inevitable all season long. Rockets in the three spot, Spurs in the two. First time the two teams have played in the playoffs in 22 years, so there's a lot to look forward to. Every game between them has gone down to the wire, so Rockets fans, well, Spurs fans too, we have a lot of really quality basketball to look forward to over the next two weeks. Now, as I said, on Friday, I gave my initial thoughts of the matchup, but as promised, I'm here now with a little deeper look after taking the weekend to think a little bit more, look deeper into the box scores, that kind of stuff. This will be the true kind of X's and O's preview. So just as we were for the first round, it was a good omen in the first round because the Rockets uh, went on to beat the Thunder rather uh, easily in five games. Maybe the games weren't easy, but the series certainly was when you went four out of five. But to preview that, I was joined by my buddy Salman Ali and Forrest Walker over at Red Nation Hoops. They do a great job covering the Rockets over there. So with that going so well, uh, both for the podcast and for the Rockets as a team, figured why not? Let's do it again. So uh, going to be another joint podcast, Locked on Rockets, with the guys at Red Nation Hoops. So if you will stay with me for just a moment, I'm going to get them connected, and we're going to do our true second-round preview right here on Locked on Rockets. So welcome, everyone, to another joint edition of the Locked on Rockets and Red Nation Hoops podcast, hosted by, well, myself, Ben DuBose, here at Locked on Rockets, and Salman Ali and Forrest Walker over at Red Nation Hoops. We did one of these in the first round, went really well, enjoyed the podcast, Rockets uh, won the first round series in five games, so why would we not try to do the same thing again before the second round, right, fellas? Works for me. Let's just try not to mess this up. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, I feel like uh, with the Rockets being the three-seed, 55-win uh, team, certainly uh, well beyond all of our expectations, but now playing a 61-win two-seed, the second-best team in the NBA. Whereas in the first round, you could say the Rockets had the approach, let's just not mess it up. Uh, second round, you know, the Rockets have a legitimate chance to win, but they're certainly an underdog. Now, I am picking the Rockets in this series in six games. I'm sure we'll get to y'all's predictions in a little bit. So it's one of those series, to me, it's not crazy to think that the Rockets can win. Certainly there's a path for them to do so. But at best, it's not a series where you think like 100% they should win. At best, it's probably kind of a 50-50 proposition because both of these two teams are really good. Uh, that's my sense on it. Solomon, I'll toss it to you. What are your initial thoughts on this? Yeah, so when we figured out the matchup uh, pretty much after that Memphis game, I, I was pretty much dead set, like, this is going to be the best series of the, of the playoffs. Like, I, I just, I can't think of any series uh, that we're going to see from here on out that's going to be better than this because uh, these teams are so evenly matched. The games have been so close during the regular season. Um, you know, so much of their offense is derived around one player, um, and the Spurs have an awesome defense, and, you know, they're, they're, their styles contrast so much. Like, the Spurs like to slow the pace down, and the Rockets definitely like to push it. Um, and, and obviously, we get to see Mike D'Antoni and Pop face off uh, in part two, basically. Uh, you know, years and years later, where D'Antoni gets another team, and uh, the Spurs just keep on chucking, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be probably the best series of the playoffs. Uh, I think it's gonna be even going to be better than Rockets and Cavs. I mean, not Rockets and Cavs, uh, Warriors and Cavs. Cavs. Jeez. I think it's going to be better than Warriors, Cavs, and uh, pretty much any other series in the Eastern Conference. I, th- I, I'm so ready for the series to begin. Yeah, it's it's like it starts tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this should be really exciting. Uh, I I have gone on record, and we'll keep going on record, saying that I have no idea what to expect from this series. I know that these two teams are both elite teams. Uh, they do seem to match up really well with each other. They always seem to give an exciting, tight competition. But, but it's like it's a different, completely unpredictable game every time. Like, weird things always happen. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how it's going to come out. Like, I think any, like I don't know if there's a good way to predict how it's going to come out. Both these teams... Uh, kind of vary from game to game so much. And, for example, the Rockets have so much to do with three-point shooting that uh, I don't know what we're going to see here, but it should be a lot of fun to find out. Yeah. Uh, guys, the first thing that jumps off uh, the page for me, besides the shooting, I think we can agree, the series against Oklahoma City, the Rockets won that with defense, which is a really good sign that even when the Rockets didn't have their primary stuff, their ability to win games with shooting, shot to 28%, their defense, they had enough energy, actually out-rebounded the Thunder, one of the better rebounding teams in the league, for the series. So that's a really encouraging sign that we've heard the Rockets say all year long that when it's the playoffs, there's more time between games, they'd be more committed, guys like Nene would be fresher, and all that stuff was true in the first round. That's a really good sign. Uh, but certainly, the Spurs are going to test them more. So when you look at this series... There are a lot of individual matchups. I'm sure we'll get to James Harden and Kawhi Leonard later. But to me, the first thing that really jumps out is the importance of Trevor Ariza and him shooting well. Because the thing with Russell Westbrook, I'm not going to say that um, I'm not going to say that Russell or Kawhi, either player, is better or worse than the other because they're both phenomenal. But the thing about Russell, as great as he is, 
the Rockets conceivably could throw many different looks at it. They came in waves, which is what they said in the uh, you know the post game, the post series analysis of it. They'd have Ariza, they'd have Gordon, they'd have Beverly, uh, and that kept them fresh. The thing about Kawhi at his size. There's no one else other than Ariza that the Rockets really can throw at him for more than a possession or two. Now, maybe now that Sam Decker's back, you can use him a little bit. We'll see, although there might be a little bit of rust since Decker's missed a month. But to me, it's kind of like Ariza, well, first, he can't get in foul trouble because he's the only guy with the size, the length, the athleticism to guard Kawhi. And then secondly, because Ariza is so important, it also makes his shooting important. Because if Ariza goes cold from the field, it's not like you can play him just 20 or 25 minutes the way you could when he gets in a cold stretch in the regular season because there's no one else that can guard Kawhi. Ariza's going to have to have a huge role in this series regardless because he's the only guy that can guard Kawhi. And by virtue of that, it's going to make how hot he is from the perimeter much more important, in my opinion. And I'm curious y'all's take on that. Yeah, the, the, the Rockets really won uh, the last series in a way I didn't expect them to. Uh, they, have, they currently have the fifth best defense in the playoffs right now, uh, and the Spurs have the ninth, which is pretty crazy. Like, both of these teams won their last series in unconventional fashions. Like, the Spurs won their series through offense, and the, the Rockets won their series through defense, which is uh, really strange, but I mean... Um, I think this series, we're, we're going to kind of see these teams uh, regress to the mean a little bit on both ends of the floor. And I think um, Ariza is going to be really big for them. Like, the Rockets pretty much have nobody to conceivably stop uh, Kawhi except for, you know, Trevor Ariza. He's probably going to have to play, like, upwards of, you know, high 30s in minutes. And um, he's going to have to do a lot for the Rockets. Um, and I, I, I think I think what's interesting in the series is uh, those minutes where Kawhi isn't on the floor, like, similar to when Russ wasn't on the floor for that Oklahoma City series, I think that's when the Rockets really have to go ahead and, you know, make leads larger and, you know, take advantage of that time because the Spurs do not have somebody, um, you know, as a secondary option to really create create for them when Kawhi's resting. I mean, LaMarcus has done that a little bit during the regular season, but in the postseason, I mean, it, the impact just hasn't been there. Uh, and I don't know, I don't really know why it's not been there, but it, it hasn't. So if the Rockets can really exploit that time, I mean, I, I just think, I mean, they're going to be at an advantage on those minutes when Kawhi's resting. The one thing that I was struck by, and I'd love to get uh, Forrest, your take on this, because uh, Forrest, your guy I really respect from an X's and O's perspective, I was stunned by how not Spurs-like that uh, San Antonio looked a little bit in that Memphis series. I think we can all agree. I know a lot of NBA Twitter loves Memphis, but let's be real. They're a 43-39 and team for a reason, and they're a 43-39 and team without Tony Allen. Uh, I know they play a style that's like, this is not a especially great team, and the Spurs struggled with them. And what really stood out to me, now Kawhi Leonard had some phenomenal closes, absolutely nuts in the fourth quarters of Game 4 and Game 6. Just crazy. And, of course, you tip your hat to him because he's legitimate uh, MVP caliber. And I've actually said before, and I mean it, I would be less bothered by Kawhi winning MVP than Russell Westbrook. That's how much I respect him. That said, when you think about the Spurs, you think traditionally about all the ball movement, how they just make teams pay for lack of discipline. But the Spurs in round one, at least to me, it, it didn't look like you know the traditional Spurs. You saw a lot of just kind of hero ball, defer to Kawhi, and try and hope that he has the answer. So if the Rockets were able to get any kind of traction against Kawhi at all, um, is it fair to question the Spurs at least a little bit that maybe this isn't the vintage San Antonio team when it comes to their uh, overall contributions offensively? Yeah, I, I like where you're coming from, which is I think what you're kind of getting at is how did it take the Spurs six games yes. to beat a mediocre team? Well, it, it could have taken them seven. For the West. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, and they only took up seven. Right. So, like, how come the Spurs didn't look so great? And uh, I, I think that's a good point. Uh, I have honestly, this all season, the Spurs have looked to me like a team that's doing a lot with a little in a lot of ways. That Kawhi Leonard is amazing, but they're sort of making the most of a lot of their other talent. Uh, I mean, it it took Tony Parker turning back the clock quite yes. a bit in that series for them to, like, it seems like a comfortable win when you look at it, it's like, oh, they won in six games, that's not so bad, but it was really touch and go the whole series. After that first game where they just, you know, they after the first bit where they blew the Grizzlies out of the water, the Grizzlies made some really good adjustments. Uh, the Spurs hit a lot of shots. I don't think, like, I, I do think the Spurs are a little more vulnerable than the, the record would look like, and the point differential would look like. I think they've done a lot to maximize their talents over the course of regular season, and they do have a lot of regular season advantages, which I don't mean is an insult whatsoever. Like, yeah. for some people, that's an insult. But, no, like, Popovich is a fantastic coach. Uh, he motivates everybody, and being motivated and with a coherent system means you've got to win a bunch of regular season games, regardless of your talent level. Their talent level is not bad, but it's not what you'd think from their record. So I do think they are more vulnerable than uh, than they even looked like a week ago. And I think that the Rockets do have a chance to exploit a bunch of that, especially because you really can't mess around with the Rockets if they go on anything like a hot streak at all. Yeah, and see, I like this, you know, I like the balance of you guys because, Forrest, I think uh, I think you are a fantastic game-in, game-out, X's and O's guy. And Solomon, I'm a really big fan of you, uh, your big-picture perspective on things and your ability to contextualize. So I want to spin it to you a little bit, Solomon. My theory, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you can weigh in, this is exactly what uh, Forrest was getting at here, is that the Spurs in this era, post-Tim Duncan, because, you know, with Tim Duncan for so long, you're looking at one of the top 10 players in the history of the NBA. He was transcendent, and you're also closer to the primes of Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili, too. In uh, the really, the post-elite Duncan era, post the 2014 title, the results, they've been a really strong mid-50s or better win team every year. But two years ago, they lost in the first round to the Clippers. Uh, last year, they lost in the, in the second round to the Thunder, and really Oklahoma City dramatically outplayed them in that series. And this year, they struggled in the first round against Memphis and uh, you know could easily lose in the second round to Houston. So I'm starting to kind of sense the same thing that Forrest is, which is that the Spurs... For all the great things, it's not an insult. They have such an amazing system, an amazing coach, but at the same time, it artificially boosts their regular season win total a little bit because they're able, they have the depth, they have the system, they have the discipline to get through the grind of an 82-game season in the way most other teams don't. But in the playoffs, when there are no back-to-backs, when depth becomes less important, when everybody's locked in, some of those advantages that make the Spurs so great in the regular season. I'm not going to say they go away, but they kind of level the playing field a little bit to where the Spurs uh, have results like the last two years when they lost to the Clippers in the first round and the Thunder in the second. That's something I'm starting to believe in the uh, post-elite Tim Duncan era. But, uh, Solomon, I'm curious where you weigh in on that. Yeah, um, the biggest advantage the Spurs always have in the regular season over every other team in the NBA is they're always going to try hard. Like they're yeah. always going to try and execute better than any other team. They're going to they're going to you know tear through your defense like with precision, accuracy. Uh, they're just they're just like well coached like that, right? And what you find in the playoffs is everybody plays harder. So like that advantage of playing harder than everybody, it kind of goes away, right? Uh, you're not going to catch these teams. Um, late in the season when nobody's really trying. Like, the Spurs are still going to try. Like, you're not going to catch those type of games anymore, right? Um, 
the playing field is sort of equal in that way. At the same time, uh, you mentioned er earlier how the uh, post Tim Duncan, this uh, this is finally that that transition to Kawhi that we've been waiting for so long to see, right? Like the the Spurs have played this beautiful basketball for like five years now. You know, since pretty much since they won the championship, they've been that sort of team where they move the ball around and they uh, and they don't play through one player. They pretty much like to they have a very egalitarian offense. Uh, now we're starting to see the Kawhi version of uh, the San Antonio Spurs, and it's dangerous. Like the uh, like the problem with uh, the problem with depending on that version of Spurs being worse is they're actually a lot better. Uh, Kawhi is averaging 31 points per game. He's shooting 54 percent from the field. He's shoot uh, he's shooting 48 percent from beyond the three point line. He's getting to the free throw line 10 points uh, 10 times per game. I mean he's damn good at getting at uh, taking control of the Spurs offense, and that's something we didn't know for a long time. Now we know, right? And now it, uh, the onus is on the Rockets to kind of combat that. Uh, are the Rockets going to let Kawhi do his thing, or and, and you know guard the role players, or are they going to are, are are they going to play the are they going to do the other way around? Are they going to are they going to zone in on Kawhi and you know let the role players do their thing? I don't know, and that, that that's what's really going to be interesting about the series. Guys, I, I want to look at one of the themes, and it ties right into, of course, how you guard Kawhi and his brilliance. What we know this series is kind of going to be defined by is crunch time execution. Because the four games in the regular season, yeah, I know it's the regular season, but certainly all of them were very intense. Both sides really wanted to win those games. There was no uh, resting. Every Rockets-Spurs game felt like a heavyweight fight. And the Spurs won three of the four because generally the Spurs were the better team down the stretch. The two most recent ones, late December and March, we all remember what happened. The first one was 6 of 38 from 3. The Rockets just couldn't buy a shot. They had a 13-point lead with about 4 to go. Ended up losing by 2 points on a Patty Mills 3 with just 10 seconds left. The second one in March, they had a 6-point lead. That was half the officiating game, half Kawhi just going nuts, playing out of his mind. And you can throw every excuse at the book. And sure, the Spurs got a few calls, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is the Rockets did not get it done. They lost those games, and at the end of the day, um, that's what matters. doesn't matter if the Rockets, you know, we feel like they got jobbed in fishing if they don't win the games, because, yeah, in two weeks, we're only going to care about who wins the series. So, crunch time execution. The Rockets struggled, not just against the Spurs, but everyone in the year. You know, if you search for hard and clutch, people will point out that the Rockets, overall, were not really that great in clutch situations this year. The Rockets would defend themselves saying, hey, the sample size was small, that we didn't really have a lot of experience. And they really defend themselves now by saying, hey, look at the fourth quarter against the Thunder. I mean, the Rockets just dominated Oklahoma City in those games. So I guess what I would pose to you guys is, A, what do you see the problems as? You know, where do the Rockets stall out in those prior games? And I'll let both of you guys answer on this. And then secondly, do you think the Rockets uh, turn the corner a little bit in that series against Oklahoma City in terms of their fourth quarter execution? Oh, uh, that's, that's a toughie. Um, so I, I feel like where the Rockets stall out is that uh, their game is very dependent upon a few things. I mean, it's undeniable that their game goes through James Harden and uh, goes through creating open three-point shots through a variety of means. Uh, however, against the Thunder, for example, they're closed out hard and often, and also the Rockets just couldn't hit three-pointers when they had the open three-pointers, so it really it really dinged up their offense. So on the offensive end, they did sputter a lot in that series in general. Uh, there were a lot of times when if James Harden couldn't successfully you know, create by driving to the rim, it was, it was hard going. Uh, I think that 
their Lincoln execution, though, is kind of where it's at. I don't know that we're going to see. Like, it's, in some of those games against the Thunder, it was really good and crisp. In some of those games, it was a real slog. Uh, I think that, honestly, late game execution in general is kind of random. Uh, it's, it's oftentimes more of a coin flip mm-hmm. than anything else. Guys are tired. You know, they, they, can, they can try their best to play well, but I've seen it go both ways so often that I think you can hope for the best. The Spurs are prepared for the best, but I think both teams are kind of are what they are in late game execution. Uh, and it's it's just going to kind of come down to which team is better able to do it if it gets there. The plan, obviously, is not to let it get there. The plan is to hit your yeah. is to actually hit your threes, keep your offense functional, and win by 15. Well, um, I see it a little differently. I, I think I think the Rockets have to try and exploit LaMarcus Aldridge and Pakistan in the pick and roll mm-hmm. um, because those are two um, slow-moving big men, and I think James Harden uh, and uh, Clint Capella can really exploit that. Um, Clint Capella is going to be huge in this series. Yeah. Uh, the Spurs have matchup not, for him. Yeah, like this, the Spurs have not traditionally done well against athletic bigs, and I think Clint Capella is like this is really his series to shine. Um, and I, I think James Harden and Clint Capella, and you know, ha- having a a, a a spaced floor, like I, I think the Rockets can really make uh, really do something similar to what they did with Enos Cantor in that first round uh, with Lamarcus Aldridge and Pagan. So I think they're going to have to put them in as many pick and rolls as you possibly can. To make sure you know they're off the floor, make maybe make the Spurs play Dwayne Dedman a little bit more, and uh, in that case you have an experience advantage. And I, I think I think that's the way to go um, late game execution because at the end of the, at the end of the day these games uh, they traditionally go down to a one on one game. And if if you get Lamarcus Aldridge on a switch, I mean I just don't think I just don't see any uh, situation where Lamarcus Aldridge can you know conceivably guard James Harden out, out on the perimeter. Uh, same same thing goes for Pagasaw. Um, I just think you have to exploit that matchup as many times as you possibly can, um, and I think the Rockets can uh, yield some fruit from that. It's interesting. I had thought about that, especially in the first and third quarters to start off games. We saw a couple of those early season games against the Spurs. The Capella lobs were very big early on. But, yeah, it could be big in crunch time, too, because kind of the key to unlocking that defense, you know the Spurs are going to want the experience, the versatility of those bigs when it matters, the offensive versatility, I should say, but yeah, defense, uh, defensively for the Spurs and offensively for the Rockets, maybe the key is not to get stagnant, not to depend on just James Harden to save you, but to make the Spurs all five uh, work defensively down the stretch and not to get predictable to keep everyone, you know, typically for the Rockets down the stretch, we think of James Harden creating into a lesser extent guys like Eric Gordon, Pat Beverly, Lou Williams as secondary options. But yeah, keep those bigs uh going as well, because you never want to give the Spurs plays off. If they're going to play defensively limited bigs, you need to make them pay for that as much as possible, and of course that especially is the case late in games. Guys, the flip side of this, and I wanted to talk about this earlier, and we got sidetracked, but the Rockets defensively. Now, I think we're all encouraged for what they did against Oklahoma City. Uh, clearly, overall, out-rebounded them, held them below 100 points in two of the five games. Pretty phenomenal defensive performance. You guys had top five in the playoffs. So that's all really great. The Spurs, historically, are a different matchup than the Thunder. The reason I think the Rockets have struggled against the Spurs a little bit the last two or three years, we've seen a lot of times where the Rockets just don't have the middle patience to stay with to stay with possessions over 24 seconds. The Spurs just move the ball back and forth, and eventually someone, there's a weak link in the chain, and they have that back cut for a layup. And I know you all know exactly what I'm talking about. 
The flip side, I would argue that the Rockets, they look more committed to me now defensively than really at any point in the Harden era. I would even say more so than two years ago. The Western Conference Finals team, I think they played really solid defense all the way around. Of course, they have to make the adjustment that you can't have a free safety. There's no Andre Robertson on the Spurs, but assuming they're aware of that simple adjustment, I think the Rockets uh, can defend a little bit better than they have against the, the Spurs historically. The other thing, as we kind of touched on earlier, the Spurs aren't necessarily quite as elite moving the ball all the way around as they were a year or two ago. They're certainly still good under Greg Popovich, but you do see a little more predictability with Kawhi. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing because Kawhi is a crazy good player, but uh, there's a little more predictability. So do you all have any concerns about the ball movement kind of wearing down the Houston defense? Or do you think that that's something that um, the Rockets have improved, at least in theory, against in terms of their approach? Yeah, I mean, I think that that will help uh, in terms that James Harden, for example, is a ball watcher, which means that he has problems mm. with that, yes. the, the, the beautiful basketball styles, but he can do a lot better if he does know where the ball is and where it's going to stay. Uh, so he he can he can actually not be a total negative in certain situations. I know that a lot of people open arms if you ever uh, imply that James Harden can be useful on defense in any situation, but he can. He just gets distracted. Uh, and I think that it's a lot easier to defend. I think that probably will fit the Rockets' defensive personnel a little better. Obviously, it's easier to defend when there's a little bit less going on in an offense. But uh, so there is, I think there is reason to believe that we might not see the Rockets get totally destroyed. I have seen some people <laughs> talking about the three-point percentages, which uh, that like that the Rockets have left open a lot of three-pointers over the season and have to some degree gotten lucky on it. Uh, I'm not sure how much I'd buy into that because I do think that a lot of three-point defense writ large is this kind of luck. Uh, it's you know when, when people say three-pointers left open, it's there's several different ways you can measure this but so there is there is a concern that maybe the Rockets will get punished from a three-point line uh, so I think that's, that's the biggest concern I think defensively I do think that you're right that like Kawhi for example does play a lot of isolation and while as you said much earlier that Ariza will gradually die over the course of the series he should be able to at least do something about that in the meantime yeah I'm curious to see if uh, the Rockets are able to keep Brian Anderson on the floor uh, in, in extended minutes especially in crunch time situations because I, I do think uh, Greg Popovich is good enough of a coach to try and exploit that matchup. Um, so, I mean, if that's the case, I mean, I, I'd, I'd really like to see the Rockets play Ariza at the four mm-hmm. um, and try that out and, and you know, play a big a bigger lineup, maybe maybe even a smaller lineup you put in Lou Williams. But, but um, you know, I, I actually kind of think Sam Dicker is going to get some playing time in this series if he's healthy because I, I just think you, you can't, like, it's, it's too much to expect Trevor Ariza to guard yeah. Kawhi throughout the course of a... 48-minute game, it's just too much. Uh, and I, I think you have to have at least one other body. Uh, hell, maybe even Troy Williams if the Rockets decide to unlock that. Uh, you know, But I doubt it. But, um, yeah, I, I just think the Rockets have to try and contain Kawhi. And the three-point shooters, I mean, they've done a good job at defining the three-point line throughout the uh, throughout the regular season. And they, um, they, to some extent, got lucky in the last round that they didn't have to play too much three-point defense because the Thunder weren't that great at uh, shooting threes, uh, except for Andre Robertson. You know, he's Steph Curry out there. Um, but I, I think James Harden's going to have to um, – I think the Rockets are probably going to play a traditional James Harden on Danny Green line, you know, lineup on defense because I just think um, there's nobody, there's nowhere where you can hide James Harden, right? Like it's there's there's always going to be a threat on the floor with the, with the Spurs, like they're just that great of an offensive unit. 
Um, and I, I think I think he's too valuable on offense to ever sit him in those positions. Like I, I think, um, I, I just think the Rockets are going to have to out offense the, the Spurs if that makes sense. Like I, I, I really don't think they're going to win this series through defense. I think they're going to have to get back to their traditional self. I think they're going to have to get back to making three pointers. Um, as we talked about earlier in the in the in the podcast, like they really shot poorly from the three-point line in that series. Uh, I think they shot about 28% for the whole series yeah. against the Thunder. Like, they have to get that up to at least 34%, 35% against uh, this first team. Otherwise, they just don't have a chance. Um, but if they, if they can do what they did throughout the regular season on defense and bump it back up to uh, regular Rockets-level offense, I, I think they have a good chance in the series. Yeah, that's where I'm at, too, and we'll flow into uh, our final thoughts and predictions from there. I was actually going to bring up Sam Decker right before we close, but I'm in agreement with you. When he went down, I didn't think it was that big of a loss for the Rockets, and I think the results show it. Clearly, Sam's role had declined a little bit throughout the year uh, as his three-point stroke faded a little bit. I think there was some natural tightening of the rotation as Mike D'Antoni got closer uh, to the playoffs as well. But this is the one matchup where it's a little bit of an exception because, as we said leading off, uh, Beverly, Eric Gordon, you could throw these kind of waves at Russell Westbrook because there were different ways to defend him. There's not really in this series. You can't throw for more than a possession or two Pat Beverly or Eric Gordon on Kawhi Leonard because the hype's just going to be a killer. And you do need more than one option. So Sam Decker, I know it's a lot to ask a guy who's coming off – not playing for a month with a broken hand, but his length and his IQ is potentially big in this series. Because if he can even buy, you know, five or ten minutes a game to give Ariza some time off, a break, whatever it may be, then then that's a that's a big deal. Uh, if, if Decker can hit some shots on top of it, that'd be great. But uh, defensively and with his IQ, I do think there's a small role for Sam Decker. And so it's great that the Rockets advanced uh, far enough in the playoffs to get him back because, yeah, I don't think it was a huge loss, but this is the one matchup where I do think they could use him. Anyway, final thoughts, predictions. I'll make mine, and I'll make mine quick and let you all elaborate a little more. I said Rockets in six leading off. The main reason why I say that, I have a tough time. Not impossible, but it's tough to see the Rockets winning a Game 7, closing it out in San Antonio. This series, I just... The way I look at it, both teams are very, very good. I just think the Rockets offensively have a little more um, dynamic play to them. I think they have a little more playmakers. And I liked what I saw against Oklahoma City on the defensive end enough to make me think that while the Rockets are not going to equal the Spurs defensively, they can shrink the gap close enough between the Rockets' defense and the Spurs' defense to where the extra playmakers on Houston's offense um, can put them over the top. Now, the one asterisk, the huge thing, the Rockets have got to make shots. If they shoot 28% from three, uh, like they did in the first round, it's not going to cut it. I didn't even talk much about that on the podcast because it goes without saying. Ryan Anderson, uh, Eric Gordon, you need to make your open shots. That's what you're paid for. Ryan Anderson didn't do nearly a good enough job in the first round, but there's not much else to say other than make shots. But if they do that, if they make their threes at a rate, and it's been a while since we've seen the Rockets really shoot well, from three, I know on paper they should. There's a lot of randomness, and they're due for it to even out. It's got to happen. But if they do that, if kind of math wins out, it evens out, and the Rockets hit threes at the rate that their season-long averages suggest they suggest they should, I kind of see Houston playing a similar role to the Spurs, what Oklahoma City did last year. I just think Houston's firepower is a little more than the Spurs' firepower offensively, and Houston's defense has just enough to mitigate the gap, to make it close enough for that firepower to make a difference. So Rockets in six, closing out in Houston. That's my early prediction. I'll turn it over to you guys to uh, make yours and close this thing out. 
Yeah, I think I'm in the minority among Rockets fans. Uh, even on our site, I think only three people picked the Spurs to win. Uh, I'm going to go with the Spurs in seven uh, just because, I, like, the Spurs have been slightly better than the Rockets all season, and even in the postseason, they've been a little bit better. Um, offensively, I just I, it's just I just struggle to see uh, um, the Rockets containing them enough. But, I mean, I really think this is going to be a close series. This is going to be, like, the point differential for this series might not be above 10. Like, I, I really think it's going to be it's going to be neck and neck. Um, best series of the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, certainly the best matchup on paper. Um I think the Rockets are going to struggle to keep, you know, control Kawhi because they just don't have enough bodies. Uh, and I, and if the Rockets do win this, I, I think it's going to be in six games. Like, as you said, as Ben predicted, I, I think, you know, I, I think they're going to have to win on their home floor. Um, and that's the yeah, challenge, I, yeah. Yeah, and, and so I'm just going to go with the Spurs in seven. Uh, I really wanted to go with the Rockets on this one. I, I do think there are a lot of matchups that they can exploit. As I said earlier in the podcast, they can exploit. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, Pau Gasol, and David Lee in the pick and roll. But, I mean, I, at the end of the day, uh, the Rockets haven't done that in the regular season, so I'm just going to go with the Spurs in seven. I'm going to do what I've been doing the whole time because I have no idea how this is going to play off at all. I just I just pick a – I just <laughs> generate a random number between one and eight, and that's what I think on that particular, that, that particular moment. So it looks like at this moment I think Spurs in five, apparently. Wow. Sure. That works. There you go. <laughs> that's what, that's the number, number generator gave me. So I'll, I'll somehow justify it by saying, uh, I guess the Rockets won't shoot well. If they don't shoot well, they'll lose pretty quick. That's true. That uh, that's a fair enough assessment. And by the way, I think a lot of us take it for granted. And that's what we didn't discuss. But uh, James Harden, of course, that ankle needs to be right. He needs to play like the MVP to some extent. I think we all expect. Harden and Kawhi to kind of cancel each other out, both pretty brilliant. But, yeah, that's one X factor that I think we didn't totally touch on, but I think we can all agree. Um, and, and if I can say something real quick, right like, even if even if this series is competitive, like, I, I, I think this season is a success. Like, yeah, if this absolutely. series goes, like, if this season, if this series goes six or seven games, like what more can you ask for from a Rocket season? I mean, um, they won fifty-five games. Uh, James Harden was an MVP candidate. Uh, you know, all the Rockets' offseason moves seemingly worked out. Uh, Mike D'Antoni is going to win Coach of the Year, um, and they're going to put up a hell of a fight against a really, really good Spurs team. Like, I, I don't think the Rock, Rockets fans have anything to be disappointed at all. If they win or lose. If they win, I mean, that's just that's just gravy. I mean, if they don't, like, I'm, I'm not disappointed at all. Like, I, I mean, th- theoretically, they're supposed to lose to the Spurs because, you know, the Spurs have a better record, better point differential, better net rating. But, I mean, even if they don't, like, even if they win, like, I'm, I, either way, it's a success. I, I, I don't think you can view this season as a failure either way. Like, like I think there's going to be a point in the series uh, – if the Spurs go up 2-1 or if the Spurs win the series where Rocket Twitter goes crazy, like, oh, we got to trade everybody, we got to uh, – this formula doesn't work, you know, we can't just build around uh, James Harden, yada, yada, yada. Like, I, I don't think that's the, the right approach to take it. Like, I think you have to step back for a little bit and just, you know, think about what you, how the Rockets were perceived going into the season, how you perceive the Rockets going into the season, um, and judge them accordingly. And, and with that being said, I think it's a successful season. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Go right ahead. They're punching. They're punching a little bit above their weight class if they can compete with or even win the series, because the the spurt. But uh, that's amazing because they're establishing their weight class as being at or right below the Spurs. That's the important thing. That like they establish themselves that this is how good they are. There are only two teams in the league, maybe four, depending on how Cleveland continues to look. We still don't know hilariously, uh, who are on their level. And that's yeah, that's that's a big win, especially in an, an era where you're not likely to win a championship just because there's a 
some kind of a you know Galactus in your way. Uh, establishing your team as being excellent is extremely important, and it's yeah, you'd like to have a championship, but this is really uh, the only other thing that matters is establishing a legitimate culture and a legitimate destination for your city. Yeah, and I'm right there with you guys. Uh, in a weird way, that's the one way it was beneficial for the Rockets to have the Spurs beat the Grizzlies. They won 55 games in the regular season, and then they validated it in the playoffs by winning in five games over you know the likely MVP, Russell Westbrook, and a team that was honestly pretty good. So really, at this point, once the Spurs lost to the Grizzlies, the old, look at it this way, the only way the Rockets don't reach the Western Conference Finals or further is if they lose to a 60-plus win team, one of the only two teams in the entire NBA with a better record than them during the year. So there's no way you can spin it as anything other than a big big success. At this point, uh, at this point, there's no way you can say, well, then Tony's system doesn't translate to the playoffs, anything like that. If the Rockets lose to the Spurs, it's just because, well, they met one of the only two teams that had a little bit better overall talent during the year, and the only thing the Rockets need to do is go out this offseason and try and get uh, add a little bit more to their team. There's certainly no way this can be anything other than uh, a big positive overall for the Rockets this season. Now, of course, we hope they advance further and, well, win every series they play, but regardless, that's kind of the silver lining, is that no matter what happens from here on out, it's all gravy. The Rockets have reestablished themselves as a truly you know, elite team, destination franchise, whatever you want to call it. Boys, thank you all so much for the time. Uh, of course, everybody listening, this is a joint uh, podcast, the Red Nation Hoops podcast, and also here at Locked on Rockets. I'm Ben Dubose, usual host at Locked on Rockets. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Dubose. The show on Twitter, at Locked on Rockets. Also email LockedOnRockets at gmail.com questions, suggestions, anything like that. Solomon Forrest, toss out your Twitter handles, your websites, the podcast, anywhere that uh, fans of this joint preview show can find you all. Yeah, you can find, uh, you can find me individually at, at DoNots on Twitter. Uh, and, of course, I, I write over at Red Nation Hoops. You should, everybody should read that every single day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can find our podcast. As, um, it's the Red Nation News Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, give us our, give our podcast a good review on iTunes if you enjoy the podcast. Even if you didn't enjoy the podcast, give us a good review anyways and just lie. Like, just lie. Yeah. Uh, and, same for, same for Locked on Rockets, too, yeah. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's where you can find our show. Um, as Forrest said, our website's rednationnews.com. Uh, we got some great writers. Uh, we, our preview's going up for the series tomorrow with our picks and predictions. Uh, and, yeah, that's where you can find our stuff. All right, well, this has been fun. I look forward to talking with you guys more throughout the series. And you know what? The Rockets went out and won a first-round series after we did this preview podcast. Let's say the same thing happens again, and then uh, we'll have another full preview before the Warriors series, right? Or or better yet, before the Jazz series, correct? (laughs) That's that's positive thinking. Yeah, uh, yeah, on that positive note, we'll wrap up Game 1 tomorrow night. Rockets fans, look forward to talking with you on Twitter, and, of course, we'll have a podcast on both of our shows throughout the series. For now, everybody, have a good night.